How do we do collective mental hygiene? What you're talking about, this idea of asking the right questions at the right times, what you're trying to do is reduce the cognitive harm imposed by propagandists and media makers and people who don't have our best interests at heart. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, and social artists, people who take the pulse of the times and create. In this time when so much seems to be coming apart, for sure much is coming together that we can't see. Our guests help us to see more clearly and act more courageously in this potent time of change. Today's guest is my smart, funny, incisive friend, Douglas Rushkoff. This is his fourth appearance on What Could Possibly Go Right because he's a consummate cultural scout and great at weaving multiple threads of insight into a single fabric. What to say by way of introduction? Well, Douglas was named one of the world's 10 most influential intellectuals by MIT. He is an author and documentarian who studies human autonomy in a digital age. His 20 books include the recent Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires, as well as Team Human, based on his podcast, and the bestsellers Present Shock, Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, Program or Be Programmed, Life Inc., and Media Virus. He also made the PBS frontline documentaries Generation Like, The Persuaders, and Merchants of Cool. His book, Coercion, won the Marshall McLuhan Award and the Media Ecology Association honored him with the first Neil Postman Award for career achievement in public intellectual activity. His work explores how different technological environments change our relationship to narrative, to money, to power, and to one another. He coined such concepts as viral media, screenagers, and social currency, and has been a leading voice for applying digital media towards social and economic justice. And here's Douglas. So, uh, hey, Douglas, my podcast friend, I met you early on when I started What Could Possibly Go Right?, and just to be completely candid, I rose in love with you. Just You're just the right blend of me for me of humor, smarts, heart, and exquisite ways of speaking about what concerns us both. And gorgeousness. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. That our society is selling our souls for a mess of Black Friday deals and the democratization of banality through social media. So I wanted to check in at the end of 2022 already, my God. What are the stories that are pounding at our attention? Soccer and Qatar, climate denial dressed up as, I'm just looking after your interest in heating your home. You know, guns in America, is it okay if one of the richest men in the world owns the largest public square in the world? The fall of the crown prince of crypto. I mean, you name it, things to shock us are dished up daily. And it occurs to me, though, that you have a front row seat on a show most of us don't experience as we blather about the state of the world. What do fledgling Gen Z people see, think, fear, uh, you know, uh, about the future? You're a professor at a large, uh, you know, public college. 
college students are classically dismissive of prior generations, but I'd like I'd like to see through your eyes um, uh, the world that of your students, what they see as they're coming into being, how they're preparing or not to live in the world that we're, you know, our generation is eventually not too far from now leaving behind. So pick this or anything from your vantage point, Douglas, what could possibly go right? Wow. Um, All those questions have really different answers is the thing. Um, and, and none of them spark a what could possibly go right um, impulse in me. <laughs> um, I guess the closest one of what could possibly be going right is we are watching the real time um, collapse and implosion of the the tech billionaire hegemonic uh, uh, command over the public psyche. In other words, Elon Musk has transitioned from an almost Trump-level authoritarian potential. You know, when he took the helm of Twitter, oh, those many hours ago, um, (laughs) he was threatening that, you know, he would unleash thermonuclear wrath on any advertiser who pulled out. You know, that he would, like Trump, you know, turn the Twitter mob against any brand and out them as against the free speech thing. You know, so he seemed terrifying. And there were these, you know, uh, memes of him in like giant kind of Power Ranger suits is the new <laughs> thing. And we've watched him gitter about like a, like a, a, like when you turn on the light in the kitchen and the cockroach runs to get back under the cabinet. I mean, he's uh, he's going to have a a board and then not have a board and then let this one online, then not let them online, then let them online, then not let them online, then do this policy, then not do this policy, then do it. No, then not. Then then now, I mean, his most recent thing was he basically paid or not with money, but um, he gave uh, who is it? Uh, Glenn Greenwald, he gave a story about how Twitter in the past took a call from the DNC about taking down some Hunter Biden rumor. And this is now evidence that, and it's like all the manipulation, it's all transparent. Or the poor kid, Sam Bankman Freed, whatever, at, at, at crypto crazy FTX, you know, um, uh, this effective altruist billionaire child who was, you know, paying for, uh, uh, donating a lot to people who believe that you could do whatever you want now, as long as you donate some money to charity for the future. You know, this movement that kind of believes that the 8 billion people alive today are just kind of the larva or maggots <laughs> of the future post-human machine, you know, machine-enabled cyborg that will be, you know, trillions of us spread through the universe. So it's okay to let these little maggot people suffer if it means more units of pleasure for the people in the future. Some weird cyber libertarian digital steroided Jeremy Bentham utilitarianism on 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 ayahuasca, right? <laughs> so 
So the fact that we can watch this happen and implode, I think is really good for us because a lot, this, this so-called Gen Z that you're talking about is going to look at its role models, at its heroes, whether it's Zuckerberg trashing Facebook for the fantasy of meta, you know, Facebook is a ghetto now. It's like, wow, to watch how quickly that went away, um, to, to watch the collapse of these things and the, the dreams of these, you know, man children, um, at the helm of these places, these kids who were, you know, plucked from college before they took history, you know, and made billionaire heads of, of companies at the behest of venture capital, we see, oh my gosh. So as that mask is revealed, I feel like we are, we are liberated to, uh, to adopt and invent alternative narratives of success that involve um, mutuality rather than singularity, you know, that, that, that are, are collective and communal rather than alienated and isolated, where winning doesn't mean separating from the pack, but elevating the pack. And I, I feel like we are, we are on the brink of understanding that. That is fascinating. Every single word that comes out of your mouth, of course, I hang on them all. Um, but, you know, I think there's more examples of that where the, you know, authoritarians and autocrats who have been able to manipulate us through Black Friday deals or whatever it is, um, are getting more and more outed. I mean, just even Trump's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the name, but, you know, even the things, you know, the outrageous statements he's making, they're falling flat. You know, the, there's many people in the Republican Party saying, like, we're sort of over him. You know, I, you know, he still has power because he has power from before. But also in China, you know, the zero COVID policy, um, there's pushback. You know, the trade off of like, I will give you my freedom if you give me your security. And you know, in better times, that might, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a trade-off that has been done throughout history, throughout history, in families and communities. I will give you my freedom if you give me my security, if you give me security. So those, that formula, I just feel like China's backing off a little bit from that policy. You know, the morality police, are backing off of the morality police, it's, it's there's some... You know, so what do you see in sort of like as you aggregate the kind of rising up from below the like, you know, this is just this is too far. We we will not do this. And it, it, and it doesn't even necessarily have a political agenda. It's not Marxist per se. It's just like, no, <laughs> just right. like, no. But I think that, as you say, the, the authoritarians, the ones who could get away with it before, um, are just too much on display. Yeah, but I think, how to say this nicely. Oh, um, nice. I think that the right is better at acknowledging its own affect, its own, uh, uh, performativity and the left is not quite acknowledging it 
and that's where we are uh in a sense weaker right we think that we are fact based we are the reality based ones and all that and there's no performativity in it but there are things i can't even talk about in terms of our performativity without getting like canceled you know there are there are issues in and uh, there are, uh, are issues in relationship to um poverty and crime um uh, intersectionalism and race um gender performativity among eight and nine-year-olds that can't be talked about scientifically because they're too difficult for us and part of leftist performativity has to do with accepting claims at face value and not interrogating them and then applying an almost equally rigid authoritarian uh uh silencing on those conversations and we've got to we've got to accept that we 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 act as if we are impervious to these to, to these forms of groupthink, and that is our greatest uh, uh, vulnerability right now. Hmm. How would you frame that up so that it it creates some space for learning without just being, you know, a I guess mudslinging? Yeah, what I would do is to say we have to understand authoritarianism less as something coming from a particular dude and more as an environmental condition. It's like weather. And that authoritarianism, it, it moves through a society like electricity. And yeah, certain kinds of leaders, if you will, are uh, better positioned to uh, capitalize off that authoritarian impulse but we're all subjected to it right we're all we're all in it we're all looking for poles and and safety and rightness we're all in an authoritarian era when things get very polarized it's uncom it's increasingly uncomfortable to maintain the comportment of what's traditionally been called the jew Right. You know, mm. the one who brings ambiguity and goes, ah, you know, the moment of Tevya in Fiddler at the very mm. beginning where they come to him with it. They're, they're saying that the czar says this and the people said this and he did that and he did that. And Tevya goes, he's right when he hears the first argument. And then he hears the second argument and he goes, he's also right. And that's the and that's the that's the I mean, that's why both sides hate the Jew. Right. <laughs> because, they're both, <laughs> because they're going, well. Ah, ah, it's a little, but that's the place. That's the comportment I think we need to to um, engender. Is that it, which is the anti-authoritarian one? It's the anti-polarized one of going. Ah, it's actually it's complicated. It's complicated, mm. and our inability to say it's complicated as a society is what yields Kanye saying that Hitler was right right that hitler's a good guy um he can't help himself he can't help himself and it's partly his psychosis 
Um, and yeah, he's obviously a psychotic, you know, person. He's he's, he's a, a, an extreme personality disorder. He needs a medication and love and all sorts of things. But the particular brand of it and why it is so popular at this moment. You know, there were people like that on the street corners all the time. I lived in New York. I saw them, but they were not, you know, billionaire uh, media celebrities getting uh, tweeted and retweeted by millions of people. They were not, you know, giant public spectacles. And that's because of the weather, right? That's the weather that I'm looking at. And where does that weather come from? I'm not that's what I'm a media theorist. So I'm looking, where does it come from? Is it, am I a media determinist? Is this a quality of the digital media environment? Or is it, is there a cultural hunger for certainty when we're, you know, faced with imbalances, with climate change, with threats of our own extinction? Where does, where does it come from? I don't know, but I don't even know that, that laying blame on its origins matters as much as doubling down on a human connected um, uh, pro-social, um, you know, uh, 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 way of moving through the world, you know, that that's, and, and doing it grounded in the interpersonal relationships on a day-to-day -day basis seems to be the easiest way to, um, um, to do it, not worrying about scale and what do I post on medium, but how do I talk to the guy in the bodega? Yeah. So it's, it's, I think there's, I think you said, well, I know you said a ton of stuff there, but, you know, I mentioned like with China that there is a bargain that we're trading freedom for security. And I think that in an in ambiguity and a desire for security, you will trade some of that. You will trade some of your freedom of thought. You will trade some of your freedom to be an outlier, You're, to contradict. You know, you will, you will, you don't want to be canceled because social ostracism is the, is like the worst thing. So, you know, there's a, that may be part of the electricity or the, just the goo that we're living in is, is this ambient insecurity about the future. Uh, and you know, how are people going to double down so that they feel like like they've got their landing bed? Like, at least I have my X, Y, Z, you know? Um, and so I wonder if, you know, the sort of the utopian pro-social that, you know, why can't we all love each other? The golden rule society that my friend Hazel Henderson used to talk about. Maybe there's a, you know, a coming of age sort of thing where that we're being put through that's about it's complicated ambiguity there are no easy answers maybe it's not we're not going to all jump to sort of you know uncle bernie you know like moral <laughs> you know like prophetic morality which of course i love but but it's just this capacity to tolerate ambiguity, which is almost like what the, the ethos of what could possibly go right is. It's like I'm asking people like you and my other guests, like just would you look like 10, 10 inches into the future? You know, we're not asking for something big, just like, you know. Right. And as and, we all know, 10 inches, it, it, this is about 10 inches, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, just, <laughs> what do you see? I think that, that that's probably what has been driving <laughs> has been driving me. And this thing is like, can we get some help? 
from people who are willing to tolerate ambiguity. Right. I think the way we'll do that, and this is the meme I was thinking of playing with, is trying to convey the idea that life itself requires ambiguity, that that's what animates life itself, and that without ambiguity, you die. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing you regret. Then, you know, once there's not an ounce of ambiguity left, you are a machine, a robot, or a machine, or essentially dead. Right? That that's the Pharaoh. You know what God said about Pharaoh um, when he was trying to make Pharaoh strong enough to um, not back down, even after all the plagues. He said, "I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart." And there's a lot of, you know, biblical debate or scholarly on what that actually means. And to me, what it meant is if you, uh, 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 that your cruelty eventually hardens your heart to the point that you don't have free will anymore. You don't, you're dead. That Pharaoh became a robot. He became essentially like an AI, you know, so that he, because he's just automatically um, enslaving others. And I think that's what happens when I look at the, you know, the Sam Bankman Freeds or the Elon Musks and however whimsical they seem to be, they're no longer um, engaged with the ambiguity of existence. And mm-hmm. so there's like people who can engage with the ambiguity of existence are in that in between weird place. People who can't, what you see is them flit back and forth. Like, you know, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And that's when you're watching, and that's the beauty of what of watching Musk melt down in real time is him going zero to one, zero to one, zero to one, zero to one. It's like right. <laughs> it's like Mr. Jada, you know. Would you please fix my glitch? <laughs> or like 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 the the Tin Woodsman, you know. I just need it hard because everything's getting like like rusted, rusted in position, you know. Right. And it's that, that whole, which way do I go? Which way do I go? Which way do I go? It's like, just, you know, it's like my friends who were tweeting, you know, last night because they were all scandalized about um, the, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk leaking to, uh, uh, you know, Grant Greenwald or Matt Taibbi or whoever it was uh, uh, about, you know, the DNC telling Twitter to uh, not to publish stories about Hunter's laptop. Like, this is like, what did you think? What did you think? Of course, a DNC can call. Of course, people in power can call publications and make requests that you or I can't. Right? When <laughs> when when I when when there's YouTube videos of entirely uh, 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 of books of mine, right? YouTube videos of the copywritten material of books of mine, and I can write to them till the cows come home and can't get a response. Yet I, on my team human, do a four second drum beat from Ringo Starr, which was referenced by someone on the show. We saying, oh, remember that moment when Ringo Starr did this drum beat? I put on a four second needle drop and I get, you know, all the alerts right away from YouTube. Duh. I mean, what did you think is going on? So they're all scandalized about this planted story, basically, by Elon Musk trying to get more attention to Twitter by making it look like he can now publish rumors there um, or, or publish uh, uh uh, news about 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 Twitter, the 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 brittleness of my friends who are well-meaning leftists but upset, you know, get so scandalized and clutch their pearls at at a moment's notice. It's the same thing. It's the same, and and 
there are real things to act. If you want to be, when I get tweets in the middle of the night that someone scandalized, what I'm imagining is, uh oh, what did Putin do to the Ukrainian babies, right? Or what's happening in Pakistan? Are the people up to their necks in water now rather than just up to their waists? You know, what's being done? You know, what, what new group of refugees has been refused passage um, away from a climate disaster or, or war zone to somewhere else? There's real stuff. There's such real stuff happening that these, these distractions are, again, it's not intentional, but it's how fascism actually works, is you distract the public with spectacles that they can grit their teeth over and divert their attention from the actual human horror that they could take real world action to abate. Right. Yeah. Wow. But the good news, yeah. um, what can go right is we're coming to see it. I think we're getting nauseous with it. I think, you know, I used to be upset, you know, we were talking about students. My students don't watch any of this or know about any of it, but I'm teaching at a public university where they're, you know, they're not even reading the stuff I'm giving them, much less, you know, the stuff anybody else is, is giving. They're just trying to survive and get, you know, from the their job at the footlocker in order to get to class and not fail um, in hopes of getting an entry-level job at the, you know, at a sports broadcasting network. They just want to live and they care more about, I you right now, more about the Mets than they do about, you know, uh, uh, Zelensky or somebody. It's a different thing. You know, they're not they're not these, uh, you know, more high strung Princeton and Oberlin students who are looking out at the, you know, the social justice landscape and wondering, you know, what to do. But I do see it. You know, I, I see, you know, the women at Oberlin um, planning to organize buses for women who need abortions in Ohio when it's illegal, how to get them out of the, you know, get them rides and 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 to convey them out of the state to get the the reproductive services they need, you know. So I do see um, uh, among the the elite colleges, I do see uh, very organized um, forms of, if not resistance, um, I guess that counts as resistance, um, uh, but more service, you know. Mm. And that's the the shift in focus now, and I think it's a good one. And this is probably the best result of the social justice movement has been we we the first impulse of 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 an effective activist today is to focus on the most vulnerable mm. who's the most vulnerable so there's something's been passed an anti-abortion law has been passed who is the most who is the what is the vulnerable population that's going to be affected by it and how do we mitigate the harm wow isn't that yeah. a great place to start yeah, you know, because it's like, and I'm glad there's still people who want to go to this Capitol and yell at the Supreme Court or do whatever you do. I don't know how that works. I'll just vote and let those people do the thing. But I do understand how to do logistics for the 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 vulnerable people now. How do we compensate for that? And and in that, and the more people we enlist in that, really, the more people are going to care about the issue. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a mouthful. I, I want to just roll back a little bit. I'm still on this sort of um, you're talking about Pharaoh's hard heart, you know, and, and basically when we close our hearts, we actually see this is another what could possibly go right thing is I think I think you have to have a tender heart, as you say, you know, who's being harmed and how can I help? 
You have to have that kind of heart to be able to see it all because otherwise your strategy has huge blind spots. Like in the 90s when I was working on consumerism, I just felt like there was no defense in the basic consumer society to people asking, you know, a legitimate, not, you know, hectoring question like, well, is it working for you? You know, like, is the money you're spending buying you something you really want? You know, and and do you want have anything else you wanted to do at that time? So there's a um I just feel like the more power experiences itself as unassailable, it's got a you know, free lunch, free pass, you know, I am beyond consequence, that's when it's brittle and it's vulnerable to a rupture somewhere that it can't even see. It's too big to see its blind spot. So I think that's another piece of what I'm hearing from you is that, and I feel it sort of in my bones too, that that up at the, you know, I, I stupidly call it the overlords, but the, you know, up at the level of the overlords, they, they, there's a sense, I think, of such disconnect from what's, you know, what you call the larvae. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's such a disconnect from- yeah. Well, that's what that because they can't feel it. It's that's like that's what this book is about. The yeah. survival of the richest. That's my 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 latest book is all about that. The, the and it's called Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. And most people think it's about them going to their bunkers, but them going to their bunkers is just the the central metaphor for this separated bunker mentality that the object of the game is to earn enough money to insulate yourself from the damage you're doing by earning money in that way right so they are they are separate from the thing but they're not they're just positioned differently in this kind of you know authoritarian fascistic nightmare fractal that that they're helping to uh uh perpetuate yeah yeah so so I, I guess one of my instincts now is, as you say, you know, you can go and you can protest at the Supreme Court and yes, God bless you, please do that if that's what your gig is. But I feel like there's another, what could possibly go right, if you will, is that there is a lot of creativity at the ground level. It's like, okay, you know, big gaping holes are opening up. For example, where I live, you know, we, we just have, we're, we're developing gaping holes in our sickness care system you know, in the clinics, in the hospital, and there's just holes. I just love that you even, when you even said sickness care system, I was like, wow, that's an optimistic phrase. It's as <laughs> if there's a sickness care system. I mean, <laughs> my God, there's a patchwork of for-profit totally. corporations, you know, <laughs> so, it's a sickness profit uh, system. Oh my God. Exactly. exactly. So, like, oh, I want to live in that world with a sickness <laughs> care system. Even a faulty <laughs> sickness care system sounds so good. <laughs> I think that what I said was like it was was like a mind formed in a prior time. <laughs> yeah. I actually think there's a system, and I'm always Remember surprised public when it breaks health care. Public health care. Totally. Remember that public health care? It was like this idea. Like, I mean, you yeah. know what we still have, which is so funny. It's such a relic of another era. I just I've been going there a lot. The public library. My goodness, you go there. Do you have one on the island? Is there a library? Oh, we have public libraries up and down the island. They're really really wonderful. more than one. Yeah, wow, with books in each one. Yeah, that exactly. you can take out. Yeah, isn't that? It's just like this idea, you know. And I remember, <laughs> I see kids go in there now, and they're they're they take into the library. They're like, "What is this? What do you mean? <laughs> you? 
I just, you know, I they take a book. I just take the book home. This is what you're saying. I can take it home and read it and bring it back. I don't pay. What? How does this work? Because like, they're so stuck in the business model. It's like, we just did this. Who did this? Who did this? Well, you know, there's a bunch of people really were into it back in the 1800s. It's like America is going to be public and literacy. And, you know, schools, you don't pay for schools either. Well, you do through, through school tax or whatever. But, yeah, all the kids, you're allowed to just go to this place and teachers will tell you stuff and show you how to read it's like and then so there's still so many great examples out there if you're willing to look at them of like the commons totally. we actually did it it's yeah so so what if what if we what could possibly go right i i hate to harp on this i'm just kind of coming back to it but is it's not even like you know advancing to social affection it's just understanding <laughs> You don't have to like anybody. Don't worry. Don't worry. You don't have to like your neighbors. You won't. I promise. You can hate them. Hold the hate. <laughs> I'm glad you're keeping it because you know, that would frighten people so much if they thought they're going to have to like have to like each other. Oh my god, that's yeah, asking too much. Sort of like that. That sort of like the you know, the end of the cargo cult, you know, it's just, they're not coming for us and living on an Island, you know, there is a bit of a sense here that, you know, there is a still a sense that, Oh, okay, fine. Well, we have to have, you know, we have to be prepared for their, they're not coming for us. They may be coming for us, but in a different way. <laughs> or in the old way, in the old way. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, writing on the wall that the old ways are, I mean, I, I, the, Tell the, me about that. What do you mean? I mean, uh, 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 the easiest canary in the coal mine is anti-Semitism. You know? Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I know people who are afraid, you know, and you can call it crazy. And they called it crazy in the before the pogroms and before the Holocaust and before everything. They call it crazy. But the language, the the confusion, most Americans think that 20% of America is Jewish. My God, um, that's a big footprint to the, you know, when it's actually like less than two, right? Um, it's it's interesting. Uh but no, no, I mean, I mean not, when, the, when they're not, coming for us, they're not. I didn't mean that in the they're coming for us like the Jews or the Gypsies or the yeah. et cetera or, or the Muslims or yeah. Yeah, no, I meant that the, that there's a there's a rescue boat that, that there's anything in the society that's going to come and rescue us. Sweet chariot, coming what? for to carry sweet chariot. <laughs> coming for to carry me home. I thought you said we chariot, and I no, thought oh, that's no, a that's the thing. No, we are the change we've been waiting for. Um, that's what they said. Um, but we, but we are. No, there is no. I mean, Moshiach, if he comes, um, it's going to come after we fixed things. They don't. They doesn't come. Moshiach doesn't come and save us. It's like we got to. We bring on the, the the messianic age ourselves. There's no. There's no one. There's no um, metaphema. You know. <laughs> 
metafema. Metafema, you know, fema, the big fema. I know, I know. Fema up in the sky. Somebody's um, got to like hear this on the radio or something. Go like, metafema, what is that? Is that a new app? <laughs> Google it. You know, I mean like the federal emergency. No, I understand thing, what you're talking about. there's no meta one. There's no big one up in the sky that comes in and saves us. That's for like incremental emergencies. No, we are, we are the salvation. We are it, you know, and, but you find it. I mean, it takes, it's like little disasters really help that, you know, Hurricane Ida was great for my town. You know, my town gets so divided between the sort of lefties and the righties, the Trumpies and the Bernies, the, you know, um, yes for a school board and no for school board, all that kind of stuff. We're like a microcosm of, of America there. But then when Hurricane Ida comes and buries a bunch of houses in mud, um, we're all out there together digging out our neighbor. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, right, we're just digging out our neighbors together. And the what what um, unites us in uh, uh, our actual lived local day-to-day reality is is 99% of our activity compared to what separates us, which are these, you know, more performative ideologies. I think that's really an interesting observation. You know, like we, t- if you take your eyes off the screen or the news or whatever, we live locally. You know, even people like who commute from where I grew up into Manhattan, you know, they all know each other on the platform. They travel into the city together. It's sort of like the whole town, you know, a part of the town goes in the city and then comes home. And it's the whole activity of daily life is not so much in the conversation anymore. You know, we're talking many, many levels of meta, this and meta, that and meta, the other thing. Right. Right. But instead, what happens is they put certain figures on the screen that get us totally upset. You know, so the the right wing gets upset because they see, you know, a teenage trans kid on TV. Oh, my God, I'm upset. You know, (laughs) the the left gets upset because they see a a guy wearing a MAGA hat, you know, or or whatever the MAGA people (laughs) believe, you know, and it's like and and and. Cool. You found something upsetting and you put it on the screen and I can be upset by that and then generalize from seeing that to a whole bunch of other things to be upset about. Or I can turn off this uh, uh, aggravation device and actually get something done in the world. I could teach a kid to read. I can walk with that old woman and help her. There's the woman who keeps getting stuck in her vestibule in my town with this dog and her walker. And I try to get out there around 11, 11.30 when she's going to come out so I can help her get out of that because it just breaks my heart to watch her in there. She doesn't know I'm going, trying to be there at her dog walk moment. But, um, and that fills me with such... Um, satisfaction just to help the old woman get out of her vestibule because she's got the dog and the walker on the leash and ah, it's a it's a and there's two doors you know when you the, right the, I understand I can whole, see it yeah right. it's a whole thing um, and it means a lot to me I mean and she's a gift to me right <laughs> she's the gift to me I have an opportunity for service because it's so hard in some ways it's so hard to find people who are willing to accept the service that's really the bigger issue it's not that they that that there there's not it's way easier to um uh to give than to receive right now mm-hmm. you know, they don't they they're they're afraid of what they're going to owe you or something it's odd you know yeah i think that i think you've also pointed out another thing that 
you know, earlier on, we were talking about ambiguity, like ambiguity is the name of the game. And so basically, if we want to live in the world that we're in, we're going to live in ambiguity. We're going to live in that, it, you know, it doesn't all add up. We're going to, we're going to live in, um, it's complicated. And so learning to live in it's complicated is actually a skill of adaptation to our time. Yes. Second yes. one. Yes. And and, 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 and that's why more people find it easier to go to a Marvel movie than a David Lynch movie, right? Because the certainty of killing the bad guy or whatever is so much easier than the uncertainty of what just happened there, you know? Exactly. <laughs> but I want to say that another skill, so these are skills. Like yes. you want to do something, here's a skill, yes. you know? Cultivate ambiguity. If it's complicated, go like, oh, yum. Mm -mm. yum. Hang exactly. with this. This is like, this is the yummy thing today. The other one is to watch what is happening to your nervous system in the presence of stories meant to, to knock you off center. This is what I had to learn during the Trump era, you know, right. that I turned over my nervous system to him. It was like, it's like all I had to do was just like fling some red meat from my indignation system out there. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. You know, and I start organizing my life around correcting for something he didn't really even mean. He was just, you know, jerking us around. So this capacity, I don't even know. I think there must be a question somebody can ask themselves in the midst of like, I don't believe that he just, oh, you know. What else, you know, like, what is the question we can ask ourselves is when when we're just the indignation is rising, our blood is starting to boil in the presence, just even of symbology, just words. Right. Like what, you know, is like is I start to think, you know, what is the effect that this is trying to have? Or am I am I being sold a product? Am I being like, is this a magician? You know, am I? paying attention to A and not B. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's people who are like, you know, at the university level who are public intellectuals, you know, people, pe people think about this all the time and they don't understand how, <laughs> how hard it is for us peons out here. You know, we don't read their, their monographs. We don't read, you know, their, these high, high level magazines. We're just trying trying to survive and this mass of people trying to like be decent in this media environment full of shock and 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 sort of manufactured suspicion it's like we have to like that that's in a way that's like the most precious thing right now is we have to be able to stay in as upright citizen brigade, if you will, you know, to in, in, in not buying it, just not buying right. it. And it's interesting. I'm noticing now that, um, that state of sustained triggered indignation seems yeah. to be a precursor to, um, taking the black or the red pill that that I notice it might so I have two or three friends now who are are effectively being really well effectively triggered by Musk and Greenwald and and uh, uh, Taibi and those things and I sure whatever they're saying it may be true but the choice to be 
to, to let the indignation rise. If, if you do your check, you know, there's, oh, indignation's rising. Pause for a second and ask some questions. Who benefits from my indignation? Oh, look, Elon Musk is tweeting about this in order to restore interest in his platform. He set up the news. He released the leak. What's going on? What, even if it's true, what's, what larger matrix am I becoming a part of here? Totally. That's what I used to suggest with, in the old, you know, consumerism days is like, who wins if I believe this? Yeah. Yeah. That's the old, I mean, this is, you're talking basic, Media theory. Oh, <laughs> one one, eh? <laughs> well, you know what I mean, though. If we just forgot it, it's 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 what I try to teach in my propaganda class at at, at you know in, in in City University. It's that. It's who wins. Who right. wins if I believe that is a great starting place to to examine a, a piece of propaganda. So that's, I think that's important. I like, like the, it's like the public mind. I have a friend who's really interested in this question of the public mind. And, and if we, if the public mind doesn't have the ability to think clearly about its own future, you know, what is the public mind? What is it? And where is it, you know, are we all contributing to it? And, is that a, like a piece of our activism, just like helping the little lady with her dog and her walker is part yeah, of our well, activism? Well, first, what can yeah. possibly go right is that there is a public mind. It's <laughs> <Right? laughs> like public education <laughs> or public health <laughs> or public, public mind. Just There's public. Collective, collective mind. You know, woo, woo. So, you know, how do we do, you know, how do we do collective mental hygiene? Yeah. I think we do it by, you know, and what, what you're talking about, this idea of asking the right questions at the right times, what you're trying to do is reduce the cognitive harm imposed by propagandists and media makers and people who don't have our best interests at heart. How do you reduce cognitive harm? So it's like, when I have students, you know, falling into the sway of like a Jordan Peterson or, you know, some of the crazy, uh, uh, whatever intellectual dark web things, I find that deconstructing the arguments of those people is a way of doing kind of ideological harm reduction. And that's, um, and that's, a, a, a fine pursuit, you know, and there's a lot of groups out there doing that. I've been listening to a podcast called decoding the gurus that that wow. does that really they're fun um uh and they uh, uh there's another one called symposius but with a, a p p s y m p o s i a and they uh they look at a lot of the kind of psychedelic gurus and people making bizarre claims about psychedelics and and but they they said that their main purpose is ideological harm reduction and so i i kind of took that meme from them and thinking you know that's that's I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm not trying to replace people's ideologies with other ones. I'm just trying to reduce the harm, you know, and that's the, the, the cognitive confusion, but also the almost um, somatic and behavioral harm um, yes. Um, created yes. by these things. Yes, 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 yes. The stress on the body, the, yeah, it's a, you know, how is it, what is a trigger? A trigger is a biochemical 
process that's, you know, activating some parts of you and deactivating other parts of you. I mean, it's a, so, yeah. So, so we, we're sort of like menching Jewish, you know, <laughs> ambiguity, loving complexity, yum, yum people. So where is that? Where is that? faculty in society is you know is is it just that there's a faculty out there not like a a student body faculty but just you know is there such a thing as a conscience (laughs) you know is there something i believe there is i mean no i mean like is there you know like i presume i know that one of my assumptions is that there is a sort of a moral sense that's embedded in the collective now I that I could have just made that up, but maybe I read the wrong Bible. But I just feel like, like that's what a lot of you know writers. I mean, people are trying to speak into something that can respond. What you know? What is that? What are we speaking into? What are we presuming? And if we presume there's a collective conscience of some sort, you know, a sort of a collective, you know, that we have a collective sense in our minds. Yeah. So how how are we? How do we intercept that? You know, how do we speak into that? Or is it just that we write books and we teach classes and we do podcasts and we do all that we can because that's who we are? Is there a way in <laughs> to this biasm? Right. It may be completely unrelated, right? But what came to mind as you were speaking for me, and then we can figure out if it's related or if I'm really going senile at this point which is possible (laughs) um when my my wife and i when we were married couldn't get pregnant right we did a few things we got this thing called blighted ovum where it's like if the baby didn't work it's like it wasn't really alive or something and then the doctor said you know we tried these things and say no no your eggs are too old whatever it's not going to work so we decided to adopt uh, a baby and we had to do all these things to get the baby. And one of them involved like a health blood test or something I had to do. So this guy, um, they sent this guy to the house to take my blood. Uh, uh, and he was like really Muslim. You know, he had the, the little the Muslim yarmulke on and all this stuff. And he's taking my blood and I'm telling him the story. And he goes, oh, you want... You want a baby? You wait. And he took out like some beads and he held me and he prayed. And he looked in my eyes. He goes, God is great. You have faith. God is great. And a month later, my wife was pregnant. Right. What happened? What was that? This Muslim man came in a plainly Jewish house talking to a guy who's, you know, it's like, what happened there? Um, what happened there was the, the human organism came to its rescue through every cultural, whatever barrier thing. I mean, sure. His religion says, don't ever touch a Jew. I'm sure my religion says, don't ever let a Muslim pray for you. Right. I'm sure it's all in there in the, in the footnotes somewhere. Um, and, and it led to, I mean, I know it's not science, but it led to the actual procreative life energy thing. 
And somehow, mm-hmm. for me, that was both real and metaphorically an example of this transhuman, uh, interhuman potential mm-hmm. that is just alive at all moments and and generative of life you know that that's our that that's our capacity does that have anything to do with that it has (laughs) i have i don't even remember what i exactly asked i mean it was sort of like a question of are we good you know we we are in us we we have it in us to transmit you know a, a loving culture? Do we have it in us to activate the that thing within a society that has that tends towards health, that tend, you know, is anti-brittle, if you will, anti, you know, that tends toward health, that tends toward menschiness, if you will. Yeah. And I, you know, that was, I mean, what a beautiful moment. What a beautiful story. And, you know, in our I mean, we started out this conversation and we're going to have to wind it up a little bit of a critique of the brittleness of the left that, you know, you can't critique anything because then, you know, it's, it, what is it like you know, leftist fragility? It's like right. we know, can't everything. interrogate. Right. We, can, we have to be able to interrogate our own performativity, our own vibing, you know, and and see and understand what it is. And also to have compassion for it, to have that menschy sense that inside that performative behavior is is a is a fellow or sister human with that same impulse to, to express love collective to yeah. serve you yeah. know that's it that's them trying to help the collective so it's almost like that's another piece of little clue from this conversation is to remember at some level either the fear that's driving what comes toward us or the good intentions, uh, you know, wearing black hats, if you will, you know, that's a wrong metaphor out of the wild West cowboy movies, but, you know, just wearing frightening masks, you know, so that is possible for us to activate that collective will to flourish. Right. And you do it, you, you, I know what I experienced with that man. I can only imagine what he experienced, right? And that's the thing. You, you, we experience human flourishing through others. Totally. You can't do it yourself. You can't, you get, you can get, you can acquire something, but you can't, that's what, back to my team human, you can't be fully human alone. That human to be fully human means to to uh, uh, enable others. You know, that's where. And so I'm going to take it like a little bit further is. Is just to go around the world with a to sort of go out into whatever you consider nature, the park, the trail beside the river, whatever, and and have the imagination that other living beings are also rooting for uh they are rooting for us 
like to talk about trees rooting for us is sort of like, haha. But anyway, <laughs> you know, but there is a. But they are. They watched us get here. I mean, they and, were here you know, long they're before. They're older us. brothers and yeah. they're, they're rooting. There's like, not only are there other blessed human beings who will open the door for you when you're struggling with your walker and your dog, but there's other blessed non human beings. Who are also rooting for us just imagine if the if if instead of the natural world going like boy the sooner we get rid of these pictures you know they're all we're going to be yeah imagine imagine that there is a there's energy of goodwill that's imagine even your gut bacteria are rooting for you they you better know? be they better be exactly <laughs> yeah, really exactly and i feed them things that they would really like i'm nice yeah. to them i'm trying to be yeah <laughs> yeah anyway we're just gonna have to wrap this up because because just because of time and you have stuff to do and probably i do too um i could talk to you forever you know and that we shall we get in it forever and then afterwards after this life oh we get to hang can out, we do don't that we? too isn't there a park bench in the afterlife we can sit on and totally totally in my afterlife there's going to be a park bench with you on it excellent all right then then i'll i'll be i'll come to that one okay <laughs> thank you once again douglas for <laughs> considering the insane mess that we're in with a really wonderful sense of Aww. humor and possibility hey thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.